Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to a Life in Ruins podcast, episode 136, reinvestigate the careers of those living a life in ruins. I'm your host, Carlton Gover, and I am actually joined by my co-hosts, Connor Johnnan and David Howe. Tonight, we have a special episode featuring a fan favorite, Dr. Shane Miller from Mississippi State. And uh, tonight, we're talking about... Episode six of Graham Hancock's Ancient Apocalypse, America's Lost Civilization. We just finished watching it. We didn't watch the other five episodes. We have that. This is the only episode we've watched. And uh, my head hurts. I believe him. <laughs> <laughs> he convinced me. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, starting <laughs> with you, with you, Shane. What were your what's your general reaction to watching watching that episode? That was fucking weird. That was a <laughs> <laughs> that was an acid trip I didn't ask for. We just finished but, it like ten minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, I still haven't had time to really process it. That was weird. That was really weird. I just gave my last final of the semester earlier today, and I'm like reconsidering everything. So. Because he's know, right. Man. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> Apparently, I need to just stop telling my students to read and tell them to start walk, listening to Joe Rogan. There was there was a lot of theories presented in what amounted to a thirty minute episode. Connor, how you how you doing over there, buddy? I feel like I've been like been like running through hoops and like shot across the world. It was just this wild ride of like, you can't even, you can't even process it when you're getting thrown through it because the arguments are like so short, sweet, and there's no questions asked in between anything. It's like you're just on this wild ride, this roller coaster that he has in his brain that generally connects to something that happens. It it it, it hurts. It I physically hurt. My face physically hurts. Yeah, so the whole point of the show is to back Graham's claim of some sort of ancient apocalyptic event. So each of these seven episodes investigate different regions and he finds, quote, evidence to support uh, some sort of global apocalypse that happened in the past. We just watched an episode that specifically focused on um, mound building cultures. And I use the word cultures loosely because it really focuses on two two sites and cherry picks, um, which we'll get on to in the next two segments. But I don't think we, he cherry picks, dude. He like maraschino cherry picks. <laughs> 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 it's the, the best ones. <laughs> right. And um, he does and then sprinkles his own bullshit in there. But like Graham Cock, Hancock, we've talked about him. <laughs> Graham, Graham Cock is his new name. Graham Cock. Yeah, Graham. Oh, so, uh, we're going to get trouble for that one. Uh, we yeah. know we're protected. Okay. Yeah. we're. <laughs> if, if anyone wants to come through us, they could have the, the $400 in our bank account, but they still have to get through the APN first. I'm putting my video up. pony up chris and rachel and we decided to do episode six particularly one because we had shane on the show we're all more familiar with american archaeology than the other topics like go beverly techie and other places and then also if those of you who listen to the archaeology podcast network know that a couple other uh, shows have touched upon the first two episodes and so we kind of wanted to skip ahead and carve out something that's that's ours and that we can be authorities on as much as we can be uh, be believed to be authorities with that being said though we, we've talked about Graham a number of times on the show and me Connor and David have talked about Graham in in 
and Shane and Jesse, Jesse Toon from Fort Lewis College, um, who's been on the show a couple times as well, about Graham. And uh, he is not a trained archaeologist. He is a writer by trade, journalist. Uh, journalist. And interestingly enough, his son is a content producer at Netflix, which may explain how uh, Graham was able to land this this deal, although it has been rather phenomenal to see that the Society for American Archaeology has put out probably one of its quickest statements in the uh, society's history condemning Netflix. You know, all the other, you know, horrible things that happened in the SA, they take a little bit, but, you know, God, we got to get Graham down. Um, and you can find that See, statement on the Society for American Archaeology website. That only helps him win. Like, I, I don't like that. And I, I'm firm on that opinion. I, I agree that, like, he's spewing, like, nonsensical stuff. But, like, his whole thing is that archaeologists are the secret Illuminati society that hide the truth and are stuck in their ways. And then when the entire society is like, we condemn you, it, like, only helps his <laughs> argument. Like, get over like, it. What's the <laughs> Just ignore them? Just, like, not I, I, yeah. oxygen into Don't the give him air. Ignore him or, like meet him on his level and like talk to him but like none of them want to talk to him apparently he's he said that on the show he was like i've reached out to people no one wants to argue with me and it's like all right well he has he has a history of when he does talk with archaeologists he employs the same sort of debating tactics as ben shapiro or other known pundits that that engage in really not What's the word I'm looking for? They're not well-meaning when they when they're there to sit with people. It's not an actual dialogue or conversation. Like Graham is out to push a narrative. He has or oratory strategies in order to disable his opponents. And as we've talked about at the show at nauseum, the vast majority of archaeologists and anthropologists do not have the communication skills and the public speaking skills or the debate skills to engage with individuals like Graham Hancock at a platform can see that. that's beneficial to both parties. Yeah, like we saw that with like Bill Nye, the science guy, when he went up against creation guy. What is his name? The Australian. Like I can see his, his it's right on the tip of my Ken, tongue. Isn't it? Ken, Ken Ham. Ken Ham. Yeah. We have Graham Hancock and Ken Ham. You know that, I mean, I thought Bill postured himself well but like it kind of to your point david like what happened after that special came out uh, ken ham got all the money he needed immediately following that special to build his arc and his interpretive museum right mm. like that was the result of that national stage so i don't think and i think because of those his history of engaging with archaeologists in that manner now we have a situation where archaeologists don't want to engage with him and it will have to probably come down to maybe a few individuals who like legit train, like get trained up to, to debate with, with Graham. But in any issue with that is, and that, that you see on this show is Graham takes us to a rather ex, like a, a, a large variety of places across the globe. He dips into many different cultural groups and time periods. And as our listeners know on the show, like when we interview people, they're specialized in a particular region, a particular time period, or a particular material culture. We don't like sit down with encyclopedias of archaeology and know any everything, right? Like we're very specialized in what we know and we're very open about like, you know, we brought Shane on because he lives in the South. He's he goes to Siak, he knows mound cultures. I do earth lodges in plains towns. Like I, I'm not an authority or know that record yet. Now I'm, I just got handed the fucking giant two volume book on angel mounds to start dipping my toes into Mississippi Ooh. world. I'll see you at SEAC next year. Ooh. Shane. I know. Um, Ooh, I'm, that's a lot. I'm scared, that's a, man. That's I'm a monster. SEAC so will be fun. Angel mounds is a monster. That's a, that's a heavy hitter. It's that's a famous one. Yep, that's, I've never heard of it. It's in yeah. my museum. <laughs> like we own that collection. It's terrifying. Don't screw it up. Does it align with Drew North? <laughs> uh, actually, well, I want to get into that later because our new museum we have a whole virtual reality dome that actually recreates angel mounds, and you can go through different day cycles and and time periods and years that you can actually see alignments and stuff like that. We should but probably talk about that whenever we get to the serpent mound stuff like Tim Pocketat stuff with archaeology of the cot. Like there, 
there's stuff here that Hancock goes through that is not that is not like new stuff. It's not he didn't come up with this. Archaeologists have been talking about some of this stuff for decades. That's the other frustrating thing. It's like it's literally watching that was like like when you're a professor and you got your kids and you know you got your students, you got your grad students, you give them assigned readings, they all can't come in. You know which ones are prepared. They're ready for a deep conversation. And then you got the person who showed up is clearly read the abstract maybe to the articles and then like is like scanning the Wikipedia page and then picks up on the conversation and tries to jump in. And they just sound it's very skin deep, like treatment of the topic. But then they just run off in some crazy direction, like derailing the whole class. This is what Graham Hancock feels like is like. The guy who shows up without reading and attempts to be provocative mm. to impress a class ends up looking like an idiot to everybody else who's read. But if you haven't read, well, then it's like, oh, sure, whatever. But like if you've read the material, you know the literature, and it's just like, no, 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 no. no. Right. But like we were talking about earlier, it's like if you try to argue with somebody like that, they'll say something crazy. It takes you three minutes to explain the background information to contextualize why the idea is crazy. Before you even get into that three minutes, they say something else crazy and something else crazy. And it's like trying to keep up with crazy. And it's like, what does that remind you of? Yeah. I know. Taylor. Yeah. Like wow, it's, I'm at Trump, but like political yeah. discourse now it's, it's like trying to argue with somebody on Fox. It's like trying to argue with like a family member at, thanksgiving and it's just like this is just a losing battle yeah but yes it, it is like arguing with a like a family member at thanksgiving i would say connor and i think this the space that that graham is talking about in this episode specifically the archaeoastronomy is something that is talked about in archaeology but maybe it's not something that everyone is really interested in or fully buys because and i'm this is just my personal opinion i think that I mean, it is interesting to look at celestial locations and where things point, et cetera. But I'm really just not truly interested, as interested in that as I am like the material record of where people lived and other things. So I think this like this spot that he's attacking in archaeology has a history of being associated with pseudoscience and less accepted within the discipline but that doesn't mean there isn't good scholarship done within this. And Shane, like we'll talk about in the in the poverty point section, there's like a, a good paper that kind of delves into these ideas and really focuses on and does a, a good work of scholarship. But I think I think Graham really attacks that area because it's not accepted as much. I don't know. That's kind of my. It's also sexy looking too. Like everyone. Like I grew up watching History Channel and stuff, and like the Maya and the Aztec uh, calendars and stuff, and like how it aligns with celestial stuff and like Doomsday calendar and all that stuff. Like it's cool sounding, and like oh that makes sense, and like it's kind of ethereal, and like what he does is like you said he attacks that and like or uses that as his like weapon, and like people tuning in on Netflix that are like moderately into history, like whoa. And then he spends the whole time saying archaeologists don't do this. Like he literally said in that episode, archaeologists just rule out archaeoastronomy because they don't understand it. And it's like, yeah, it's not our job. But like, we're, I'm totally happy to include an astronomer into here if we if we had to. I think it's funny his strategy at the beginning where he was like, I feel like I'm less deconstructing his archaeology in this and more interested in how he constructed his arguments. It's like the rhetoric is more interesting than the actual archaeology stuff that he's talking about. And I think it's fascinating that he starts off with peopling of the Americas stuff. And he starts out with that as like the undermining thing of like people thought it was this way for so long and it was dogmatic. And now we have he brings out White Sands and Saruti, which I feel like we should have had a bingo card ready to go and it's like those would have both been on it for a bingo. Yeah. But you know, we I've talked about those sites with you guys. Like one's one's very controversial. The other one's controversial to the point of being absurd. And he uses that as like this, like crack in the door 
to like right. so doubt the end of the establishment. And it's like, I feel like I'm like, oh, this is, this is my corner. This is me and my colleagues not having our stuff together and not making good faith arguments and talking past each other. And, and that leaves the, the crack in the door open for some guy to come busting through with like using this as like a, a gateway to crazy. Yeah. But the hard part is, is that if we don't have engaged in these dialogues, we're not, I don't think we're doing the scientific method and process and we shouldn't like the inverse would that be like, we don't debate anything or don't allow these things to to happen. I'm not saying not debate the people in the Americas. I'm saying maybe the way in which the debate has played out has, has made it seem, I don't know. I'm struggling for my words here. Is it like too dogmatic? Like that's, I think maybe just the contentiousness of, and the way it was always set out as like, you have these Clovis police, blah, 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 blah. And then now look, the Clovis police are wrong. And so this is an example of how archeologists can be wrong. And so I'm going to tell you about other places where archeologists are probably wrong. Like they were wrong about the people of the Americas, leaving out the historical fact that somebody like Vance Haynes was like, you know, I'm not, he's like, I'm open to being wrong. He actually set up the scientific three criteria The that's got to be archaeological. It's got to be a good context, got to be in a date. And if it's older than Clovis and it matches all three of those within well, the Clovis, he literally set up the guidelines by which you would undermine the Clovis. And, you know, and then, you know, the story behind the story of like, when Friedkin came out, Vance Haynes, Mr. Clovis Police himself, sent a nice letter to Mike Waters saying, this looks like a really great site. I'm really impressed with what you did, and I, I really want to see more. So it's like, how dogmatic is if, like, the fucking sheriff of the Clovis Police is, like, sending letters to mm-hmm. Mike Waters congratulating him on his pre-Clovis site? Like, this is, if you don't. No, when you're not in these circles, it's easy to believe that it's that this narrative is as simplistic as Graham Hancock lays it out to be, when it's clearly not at all. I think that is a great place to end the first segment, and we will come back in diving more into the uh, chaos that was this episode. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And welcome back to episode 136 of Life from Its Podcast. And in the interim, we've been joined by Dr. Jesse Toon from Fort Lewis College. He's shown up. So the, the band is back together. And uh, Jesse is just going to be reacting to the news. I uh, like just the ridiculous things that Graham Cox says because Jesse hasn't watched the episode. So for our listeners, because we, we have failed to do this, like a, a brief outline of this episode. It's 30 minutes long. He starts off with like how the Americas got populated. He talks about just the Bering Land Bridge theory, which is we've talked about this before. But then he mentions the footprints in New Mexico and Saruti as being evidence of earlier occupations. And it just so happens the same two guests that we've had on to talk about the White Sands footprints and settlers of Saruti are here. So if you want context on our feelings towards those two sites, go back and check those out. So, you know, our opinions. And then he goes into, he talks about colonial land grabs. Like he sets up with this place used to have a lot of indigenous people like they had culture they were here they did all these amazing things and then they're all wiped out and so he, he props them up claims of all this indigenous culture but then like kind of then uses it to say like archaeologists aren't listening to indigenous people but then he doesn't listen to indigenous people so in both the two sites so then moving on from 
how uh, there's a, a, a very brief intro of one hypothesis of colonization of the Americas. He goes to Poverty Point in Louisiana, does a cut 10 minutes there, and then he talks about Serpent Mountains in Ohio and does about 15 minutes there. And in both of those instances, he mentions that indigenous people created these and they had culture and they were smarter than archaeologists give them credit for, which is an antiquated way that archaeologists had talked about them, really antiquarians, which we've talked about on the show. But then he doesn't talk about indigenous people. He doesn't talk about the oral traditions or what they have to say. And often, more often than not, he talks about the Iroquois and specifically to Serpent Mounds, which aren't ancestral to the Ohio River Valley in one of their creation stories. And he tries to like force those things together to support his mound because the Iroquois have this great horned serpent legend. Their Serpent Mounds is a snake. Gramcock is wearing snake gardeners in a fucking mowed lawn. It's it, there was a lot going on, uh, just just a lot. So just a just a brief background on what this this thirty minutes of of continual stream of consciousness by Graham of building an argument based on very thin threads of I wouldn't even consider evidence. It's one of those. Well, if this is true, then this could be true, and if that's true, then this could be true. It's like one of those really ridiculous building block arguments. And as we've talked about on this show before, like you know, there's a couple strategies of pseudoscience that pseudoscientists use to build their arguments. There's three appeals to authority, deflection of topics, and inciting skepticism of the scientific process. In this whole show, the episode that we watched, he doesn't appeal to authority. He says he's the authority. He doesn't deflect topics because no one's really challenging him. Or if they do, they don't show it, as David will mention. He really, the entire show is him just inciting skepticism of archaeologists. Throughout the entire thing, he says mainstream archaeologists believe this. And he uses like very absolute terminology in describing how archaeologists hate him. They don't like his theories or like they don't believe in archaeoastronomy. Like there's, he uses this as like all archaeologists don't do this. There's no room for like, the debates within archaeology that are going on, the growth of archaeological debates. He's very much a Sith in dealing with absolutes here. I was going to bring that up. Thank you for saying it. Absolutely. So, Connor, what goes on down at Poverty Point in Louisiana? So, so he start, He does like, yeah, like you said, 15 minutes or so split between these two areas. Poverty Point, specifically, he talks about how it's just a huge structure and you can see far and does this weird defensive throws in like defensive structure as like a, a potential thing for it and then just like discounts and runs away. He says that like this, he does contextualize poverty point as being unique and existing within th the time periods that we as archaeologists and attribute to it. But he also is skeptical and, and thinks that it, there's continuous developing and kind of improving the site and that possibly the site's been in constant use for 10,000 years, etc. He then brings in the site manager? Capital Rider. We weren't sure what he was. Yeah. Um, it's funny. He's actually the person who runs the site is Diana Greenlee. And it's interesting that she's not the person that's walking around talking to Graham Hancock. It's somebody else. It looks and like so someone I from maintenance yeah i don't know the guy could be like a star. i have no idea what this guy's back <laughs> just a landscaper <laughs> i just know he's not diana green and so i think that's kind of interesting well there's like there's like constant coming back to him and graham talking or the the guy talking and kind of that's his appeal to authority and gets these little snippets of kind of support graham's theory this guy says something and he keeps doing that through this whole uh, first part. So he continues on. He's like, it's old, blah, blah, blah. Archaeology is mostly right. And then he starts getting into these like uh, kind of cosmological connections and the orientation of mounds and kind of goes on this wild tangent about all the locations that are pointed out by the different orientations of the of the mounds, north, south, east, west, solstices, all kinds of stuff that exist in, in time and space. But yeah, he's um, like, if you stand on this mound, you can see the solstice solstice. It's like, yeah, it's, it's flat and it's a pyramid with a, with a platform, like all of these places you can see an astronomical event or, a, or alignment. If they're the center of your isthmus, like it was just bonkers. Yeah. I think when, I don't know if Bob talked about it on the episode we had him on, but I, I asked him, because he had said he went to a lecture where Carl Sagan was there when he was at Cornell. And Carl Sagan, it was a lecture about some like stone circle or medicine wheel. 
and Carl Sagan essentially is like calculated something in the audience and was like, well, technically, like if you look in any direction in this wheel, since it's a circle, you'll find something it aligns with. So like, what's your point? And like, I was thinking that the entire time while he was yeah. talking about that. Cause like it, that corridor does make sense. Like when you're standing on poverty point and you can see the sun, but like, I don't know, man, like, I don't, I really don't have a problem with it pointing to solstices and alignments. I mean, I sent that article to you guys or Ken Sassman had like laid out all these argued that there's like site architecture for all those lower uh, Mississippi river Mount Valley archaic mounds. And he's, He's got a whole entire argument about how they're like calling upon like by integrating these things in space, they're calling upon kind of history and their construction. And people do that. Yeah. Um, And that's and that's one of the points that he made as part of this. And he eventually gets to these wood hinge structures and talks about them and also same sort of alignment stuff. But then his ultimate kind of point from that is that Main Street archaeologists don't acknowledge or say that these things are connected or that there's archaeoastronomy occurring in any sort of mainstream archaeology. And then the final yeah, point is that, that we refuse to accept it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then Shane immediately sends us an article like linking to someone on, in a published report, like he just mentioned of like archaeoastronomy. And it's like, and I've, and we've seen that in Chaco, other Mississippian sites and elsewhere, like archaeoastronomy is, is, is a talked about dis- subdiscipline that it's going through growing pains at the moment. Cause some people use it very haphazardly, but in other places it's like, okay, cool. Yeah. I don't know the last time I was in a room with more than two Southwestern archaeologists and archaeoastronomy did not come up. Like that is something that a lot of archaeologists very much talk about and and try in various ways to build into their thoughts and interpretations. And like, like you just said, there's some growing pains with that. But uh, yeah, I mean that gets at this bigger question of mainstream or quote established archaeology WTF like. I wish there was such a thing. We would have less confrontational conferences and discussions amongst archaeologists sometimes, I think, if there was this giant cabal where we all agreed and were, you know, <laughs> thinking the same thing. Yeah, that's really good point. It would be really cool to be part of the Illuminati. <laughs> it would be. You know, it would be kind of like really cool. You know, I, I, where do I send in my application? I'd get like, laid a lot more and do cocaine. It would be awesome. Yeah. Like, I, 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 we've said this, but I mean, we've, we've mentioned this every time we're on, this comes up. It's like, I wish there was some worldwide organization controlling archaeologists because at least they'd pay us to be quiet. Like, sign me up. I have yeah, that right. to take care of. Like, I'd like to be part of a global conspiracy. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I don't think we would collectively be as in debt as we are if this thing yeah. exists, oh. right? Look at our bank accounts. And so Poverty Point is 3,700 to 3,100 BP, so before present. So just subtract 2,000, that gets you 1,700 to 1,100 BCE. It's in Louisiana. One thing that he talks about is that he mentions like there's no documents about how they wrote it. It's like, yeah, no shit. There weren't documents, dude. It's oral histories, which he also doesn't mention. But there are some. Like I did like a quick Google search and came up with like four articles of other peer reviewed papers talking about oral traditions of southeastern tribes relating to poverty point, specifically to owls for some reason. I guess there's a lot of owl jasper production at poverty point. Yeah, they got these little owl, like, bead effigy things that are really freaking cool. Hmm. Owls are devil birds, and therefore they're devil people. No wonder that devil worship was extinguished, so... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, One thing I would like to add, uh, Connor mentioned that he was speaking with the man I called the Capital Rioter, which I feel bad for saying, he's probably a lovely gentleman, was... If you watch it, and especially if you watch any Netflix documentary, Discovery Channel documentary, or History documentary, watch the interview between him and this person, and you can see how heavily edited it is for him to just say, we don't know yet, or like, we don't know. There was probably 10 minutes of talk on the camera there that the guy explained a very valid point. 
Yeah, he like, did look flustered. Visibly yeah. flustered. Yeah. Like for the rest of that interview, he's like calm, chill. Like this is poverty point. And then it gets to that last segment. He's like, well, we just don't know. Like his he's he's clearly defensive. He's worked up. Graham had clearly been Graham Cock had been putting him through yep. the ringer. And that's the segment that they grabbed from him is like what they wanted. Can can this be a verb from now on, Graham Cocking? Yeah, Graham Cocking him. I kind of feel like if we see this cat at SEAC, we probably need to get him a beer because like <laughs> he may have just been the guy that he's like, like everybody's like, who's going to talk to Graham Hancock? And everybody's just like stared at him and he's like, son of a bitch. Yeah. And it had to be the guy. Well, yeah, Was he and, forestry? Did it say forestry on his shirt? It said staff. It said staff manager. Yeah, he's probably worked for Louisiana State Parks. Well, and we'll see. We'll see. This is a, I think this is a, it's an interesting counterpoint to what we'll see in the Serpent Mounds part where they refuse to have the conversation. Yeah. He stands out front the gates and like reads off an email where the staff at Serpent Mounds are like, essentially like if Graham Hancock's associated with this, we don't want to talk to him. Because what he wants to talk about is not at all in alignment with our interpretation of the site, what archaeologists interpret the site, what indigenous communities interpret the site. And he's like, see, they're trying to censor me. And it's like, well, did you just not see what you did to that poor asshole in poverty point? Like, like, do you not like that's why they don't want to talk to you. Like, if you read between yeah. the lines of that interview, like they don't want that to be one of their employees. Because, yeah, if that poor dude shows up to SEAC, like, God help him. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, basically, where people like Graham Hancock talk about the field of archaeology, the field of whatever being against them. And they spend a career, decades upon decades, talking shit about people in that field to the point that, yes, all of a sudden, archaeologists don't want to interact because we've seen decades of this guy talking about how terrible archaeologists are, right? So it's this weird, yes, self-fulfilling prophecy that he and other people like him have, have ultimately created, right? So like, how do you, how do you get out of that death cycle, basically? Yeah, and we had this talk when we were watching it. I, I think personally think they fucked up by not letting him do it, especially someone as big as Graham Hancock. I understand why you wouldn't want to do it. And like, I refused that one show too, because of like what they were trying to get me to say but like with somebody who like has a whole journalistic career of like the archaeologists are out to get me and things like that like if you tell him send him an email like that of course he's going to read it on the show and then it only makes him look better to the people that agree with him but as shane said like what else do we do just ignore him and like i i really don't know what to do they they probably made the right call not having him there because he does vilify them but i don't know it only helps his case in my yeah. opinion. I mean, it, it comes down to this problem, right, of him making these shows, trying to interview people. Now, all over social media, he's trying to debate archaeologists and anthropologists and other scientists, you know, head to head. And I think it was John Hoops I just saw declined an interview with him and said something along the lines of, I can't debate metaphysics with you using science, and I refuse to do it using any other methods. So no, I'm going to politely decline your offer to be, to be interviewed. Um, like you, you can't have these types of debates because people are operating on different, different sure. planes, using different vernacular, using different quote unquote data sets. And you end up just talking around and past one another. And I think that's kind of missing some of the, the bigger points that I, I think we're probably talking about here. I'd agree with that. Yeah, 100%. But he doesn't get into like crazy poverty point sets up serpent mountains. So he doesn't talk about like an ancient apocalypse. He doesn't talk about a catastrophic event. He kind of uses it to set up like archaeologists don't buy in the archaeoastronomy. He even makes a quote that like archaeologists don't want any other science involved. Like they don't talk to astronomers. They don't talk to astrophysicists. Like they, that's how he uses um, poverty point in particular like here's a site that has these astronomical events it has these hinges let me tell you how archaeologists aren't talking about these things because they are selfish self-focused and non-interdisciplinary which anyone who's listened to this show like we've had multiple 
if not most of our guests are interdisciplinary scholars that work outside of just the, the compounds of archaeology. Even the field of archaeology itself is built upon the the use of other fields of studies, laws, methods, and practices. Like that's we're kind of that's our field. We use geology. We uh, in particular is a big one that which we take a lot of thought and theory from some parts of archaeology start with geoarchaeology and some start with (laughs) zoo archaeology like i don't know wasn't the big like one of the biggest stories from last year was the people who were trying to date that viking settlement in newfoundland they were using the combination of tree ring dating and solar flares or solar anomalies to pin down to like the exact year that it was settled so i'm like there's a good example and that goes all the way back to like a.e douglas trying to find solar flares and dendro dates and stuff like that the 100 years ago yeah i don't know i when i see like this astronomical stuff and the astronomical alignments and everything I, i still think it's just much more mundane and that you've got hunter gatherers on seasonal rounds just tracking seasons. It's like what Poverty Point is, is a big place where people came from all over. They brought stuff all over from Eastern North America. How do you know when the party is? Like, how do you know when everybody's Ugh. showing? It's like, well, it's, it's just a way to track seasonal time. And like people so, do this all the time. Having not seen this and actually not really following much of this new show, is this only about North America? This one episode. Because what Shane just said also is a direct explanation of Stonehenge. When do hunter-gatherers know when the party is, right? And people came from yeah. all over, what was at that time, an island to join the rager, right? Know that. How do you know where to go, right? That's the exact same thing that plays out time and time again in countless places around the world. It's not overly complex. We don't have to come up with these really wild ideas and theories to explain it. We... We see it playing out all over the world. How do you feed all the people at the party? And it's like probably because Poverty Point's at a major flyway for birds. That's a seasonal thing. When does Poverty Point go offline? It's like when it's major flooding. When does major flooding occur? That's a seasonal thing. Wouldn't know when, like knowing when seasons are about to turn over would be pretty damn important if you're hunter-gatherer. It, has, it doesn't have to be catastrophic apocalypse was it whatever the portal of apocalypse is yeah well and then he he really just his end point of this is that we consider hunter gatherers and people in the past as just like dumb hunter gatherers we don't attribute this sort of complexity to them and that's kind of his jumping off point into serpent mounds so at this point uh we're going to end this segment and we'll catch you in the third segment where we go we go into snake gators and serpent mounds yeah the alignments aren't right everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to episode 136 of 11 Nerds Podcast. We are here with Dr. Shane Miller and Dr. Jesse Toon talking about, was it Ancient Apocalypse? Grant Hancock's new show on Netflix, produced by his son. Must be nice. Anyway, I will say before we, we get cracking on this, the graphics are awesome on this thing. The animations, like if you could just animate a cool Clovis site that way, I would die. And then also, let me not die. Like the drone shots and the camera footage, the cinematography, like it's great. So if an archaeologist out there has the idea to write a really best-selling book and make a lot of money peddling your, you know, 
you're a grift. Go ahead and make a cool Netflix show out of it. That didn't make any sense. Probably it's kicking no, in. Right it's now. like it's like it's like he's got he's got Cosmos like Neil deGrasse Tyson money. Yeah, Cosmos money. Yeah, like where he can but like reconstruct. Yeah, <laughs> it's like <laughs> there are some little interesting tricks if you know GIS, like what they're doing to get some of that stuff to pop. The the Z scale is exaggerated, like on a lot of those. If you notice, like. It's like X and Y are probably normal scale, but they probably have a multiplier on the Z to make the elevations more exaggerated and pop. That was something I was noticing on the Serpent Mound one, a little bit on the Poverty Point one, but really on the Serpent Mound one to make it seem like it jumps out of the off the ground a little more and makes it pop a little more. Like I'm not yeah. sure how realistic that actually is. I guess yeah. it's for aesthetics, but yeah, that, yeah. That, it is. I mean, I've done stuff like that too to try to like make that illustrate it, like in conference papers and whatnot. But it's yeah. still the graphics, yeah. Are but he sets up Serpent Mounds, like we talked about. Like he reads off the email from the authorities at Serpent Mounds. He uh, talks about how archaeologists are censoring him because of it. He gets all upset. He's like, "This is exactly what I'm talking about. Archaeologists are ridiculing and insulting when you don't agree with their thoughts." And then he talks about he. That's when he first throws in is like I think this site is over ten thousand years old, and we were all like, "Where's the data?" And it doesn't show up till later, where he explains it. It was well done. Yeah, he does talk about how indigenous people were like sophisticated people that could have done this, and like promotes indigenous ability to do that. But then kind of comes back at it to like shame archaeologists again. It's like archaeologists don't believe indigenous people, but they're all gone. So you know who knows what indigenous people said. It's like wait the fuck a moment it's like they exist still and once again did another quick google search on like indigenous oral traditions of the serpent mounds and a shitload of articles popped up so it's like you didn't do your homework dude you're just trying to bring sympathy he's using it as a mechanism to also hate archaeologists yep which is like valid 30 years ago now it's a little different so and his uh his little companion this time is uh the neighbor of who owns the land next to to serpent mounds and is like his uh his expert that he kind of goes to and talks to who is not an archaeologist he just owns the land next door <laughs> like that's it and like david said he looks like lindsey graham and like and sounds like him yeah and he's just kind of there he's like yeah this is a spiritual place Indians definitely build it. No one listens to it. Like, I think it's older. Like, he's not an authority in the field. And Graham Hancock just, like, pulled some dude just to reiterate it. It's like, time out. Who are you? And why do we care what you have to say? And ultimately, like, anyone with a brain should be like, time out. Who? Like, the park, the poor park ranger at, at, poverty, at poverty Point, man, like, got the short end of the stick for yeah. sure in this. In, in describing Serpent Mound, he really talks about, once again, these alignments of things. He says the different coils are pointing in celestial astron- astronomical kind of locations, and it's whatever. He kind of has like a whole part where he talks about that. Also, once again, nitpicking and being just whatever. His main point that he, his main evidence that this thing is 10,000 years old, specifically like focuses on the head and its location. I, 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 my brain can't right, physically but, form that argument. But Jesse, you mentioned something in the interim about serpent mounds. Yeah, and so whenever anyone's looking at monumental architecture, whenever we're looking at these giant you know, earthen mounds created across the landscape, whether it's North America or elsewhere, they're not a single event, right? If we look at what people of European descent did on Salisbury Plain and look at Stonehenge, it's clear that it's been rebuilt and refurbished time and time again. People do that to our houses today. We continually add on and reconstruct them. There's really good evidence to show that that's exactly what's happening at Serpent Mounds as well. There's a really fantastic paper by uh, Edward Herman et al. uh, out of the... uh, Indiana University in Bloomington, where they're showing how Serpent Mound That's my boss. <laughs> has, has been reconstructed over time and that there are these quote-unquote hidden coils of the snake, of the serpent, that are no longer visible on the surface of the ground, but geophysics shows that they're clearly present at 
different points in the past. So when we start down this conversation, the, down this path of, you know, what these different things point to, they've been modified and changed throughout time, right? And so I think that's really important to, to kind of keep in mind that these are not static things on the landscape, right? That culture and people are not static and that they're constantly changing and, and being recreated, right? I wonder if, because he, it didn't seem arbitrary, the lines he was drawing, like like physically, from the mouth to the equinox or like the bend of the serpent to like, the summer solstice, the winter solstice, or whatever he was pointing to. But then he takes one, he's like, if you take the exact center of the coil of the tail and aim it this way, it aims to fucking Zeus's ball sack. I don't know what he was talking about. But if you did that with the other versions of the, like, the mounds that were, like, under there, like, if they were probably in different parts, like, what do those point to? He didn't mention that. So maybe he just didn't know. Are we not going to collectively laugh at the Zeus's ball sack? <laughs> I was trying to think of Orion's belt, but I couldn't get the words. <laughs> it's, it's not Orion's belt. It's Orion's penis is originally what it is. They just oh, say belt. Stop. Oh, my God. And, and uh so what Connor was alluding to is like the crux of, of Graham's over 10,000 year old argument is that if you, he calls it the mouth of the snake, the snake doesn't have a mouth that has a elliptical head. He doesn't even use one of his animations to actually point, use to point where it goes to, which was also weird. He, he was really good at showing lines and angles, but for like his argument on the head, he doesn't actually bring one of those up. And he just says, this doesn't align with the summer solstice. And he goes, and so it's like, okay, but he doesn't use an animation, doesn't, doesn't show it, goes into how some science about how the earth rotates on its axis and how it tilts every now and then. The last time it would have been an alignment is at the end of the last ice age during the younger Dryas. And like, and he doesn't really explain the math behind that. He just says like, yeah, then therefore it must be at least 10,000 years old. Cause it, if everything else is aligned, then this would have been aligned. But that brings up two questions. One, if that's true, then the, all the other alignments would have been out of place that he talked about in contemporary today. Like those are based on the alignments today. So the wiggles, the snake tails to Zeus's ball sack, those would have been out of alignment. So it like kind of make, messes with it. But then again, as Jesse alluded to, like it's been changed over time. So where did those point to it? Who knows? Did Has the head changed? Like we have to read Ed Herman's article on this to figure out where it could have been done. But it's like it's a whole really weird argument that he constructs that's built on our archaeologists are lying to us we know that at poverty point he mentions how the woodhenge has a bunch of different radiocarbonates once again to jesse's point that these sites have been refreshed over time with new wood poles and everything like that that's why the radiocarbon dates are acting strangely we know this and he builds this really weird argument through the entire episode that's based on really thin strands of yarn if we're talking about weaving a narrative here on how this all points to his ancient apocalypse. And that's when he gets to, so if it's 10,000 years old, you know, this is like at the damn near border of the, of the last glacial maximum. Then he goes into like, it's a snake. You know, who else who believes in snakes, the Iroquois who talk about the great horned serpent that, and it just, well, then he shows the wall from game of Thrones saying like, (laughs) like, this is what it looked like at the last ice age, but he didn't remove the trees from the animation either. So it's like, Just a weird juxtaposition, but it aligns with the younger Dryas 10,000 years ago or whatever, or 12,000 years ago, because he's selling books about the younger Dryas and how archaeologists <laughs> are wrong about it. And it just like, I was like, oh my God. Man, well, it, it was wild. He showed like the J.J. Abrams wall and then he showed like, or no, I mean like the wall. And then he showed like J.J. Abrams, like apocalypse happening, you know, oh, like, yeah. Yeah. and there's like a pew and then boom. Yeah. Like, oh, younger uh, Dryas is like this ins- Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was waiting for the Mastodon Transformer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was that was the what Black Power Ranger back in the day and Mighty Morphin. Oh, yeah. That was the yeah. yeah. But it oh. it uh, through this whole episode, especially when we got to that, it made me think of his book when we're talking about selling books in America before he does this same shit, and specifically when talking about a lost civilization which points to Atlantis, he compares the Pawnee Nation, specifically our star knowledge, to Egyptian star cults and uses that as evidence for a long lost Atlantean civilization that Pawnees and Egyptians came from the same place. It's almost like you guys are looking at the same stars. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was wild. Yeah, I don't know. But it, oh my god! But but the great horned serpent is like a ubiquitous story in many American Indian traditions, especially east of the Mississippi, I and mean, also in the Great Plains. We have ours too. So it was a really weird. Like here's this evidence. Here's this indigenous oral tradition from the Iroquois who aren't necessarily ancestral to Ohio that talk about a cataclysmic event that would have, it was this really weird, like, this is a serpent mound. Guess who has a, t- uh, a tale about serpents? It was like really, while he's wearing snake gardeners, like mm-hmm. the whole thing was just like. In a lawn, like a, like a, a lawn boat field. Well, and then, but well, this was the part where he's like on a log at night with his journal, with his post notes. And when he's showing the great horn <laughs> serpent on the next page next to it is the spear as the, is a recreation of a Spiro gorget, which has the, the hand with the eye feature with two rattlesnakes wrapped around each other. Like it was just like, he never mentioned Spyro at any point. Like it was just this weird google he must have just googled like snake artifacts because that's what will pop up is that that figure well saruman identified uh, (laughs) that aragorn was the true heir of isildur because he had a ring with two snakes on it you got to be careful man archeo dude if we're wrong he'll come after us oh my god i mean let's be honest here right i mean this type of cherry picking of cosmologies and and symbols right i mean all of this any two points are going to make a line, right? I mean, Voodoo religions coming out of ultimately West Africa turns out a great serpent is really damn important to them too. And does he include that? Does he include serpent gods and any Eastern philosophies? No, like it's just cherry picking random shit to make some compelling and interesting, I should say book sales or, or Netflix show. Right. I mean, it, yeah, that's why ultimately, I mean, we can't, we as a scientist, we as archaeologists, we as logical, rational thinking humans, you know, it, it's a silly waste of our time to quote unquote debate these ideas and these people directly one on one, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about two different things. So I don't, I don't know. You know, also has a giant serpent imagery. Oh, no. Glitch Mob album cover band camp. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Very good. So my, my question, like here's just like a, a hypothetical that I want anybody like listening to this just to just stop and think about is like that, like segment where he's talking about the head pointing at this particular direction. And the last time that it faced that direction was, 12,800, which is the onset of the Younger Dryas. Ask yourself, who's checking his math? Randall Carlson. Any peer-reviewed article, like you've got somebody of like that's kind of – you got like at least three peer reviewers who are experts looking this over to make sure that you didn't just do dumb math and just – there's no data here. Like there, and I guarantee in his books, there's no, there's no rigorous justification to back that up. It's just something that he just says. And it's just like, I wish people would have the same skepticism about him making those statements as he's inflicting upon the archeological community with his own skepticism towards us. And it's like, there's, how is he able to like, point it our direction without getting the same shit going back at him from the people who are skeptical of everything, supposedly. Mm. It's still, it's, it's, it's a weird judo move. It is weird, but then again, it's not. We see this playing out in other parts of our lives today, especially with political campaigns starting in 2016, right? Where you yell and scream about, you know, the lack of professionalism and background training that, you know, the quote unquote experts have. And so these outsiders, you know, gain and garner all of this attention and become, you know, these people talking about how the rest of, you know, the professionals don't know what they're talking about. Right. I mean, we, we see this in, in so many different realms of our lives these days, this idea of conspiracy theories where, 
you know, the, the experts, the man, the people don't know what they're talking about. So listen to the mm-hmm. outsiders who were skeptical of that. We saw how that played out in American politics, right? And this is basically the same thing with this level of conspiracy theory. That That's what this comes down to, right? It's conspiracy theories. I think so. There's yeah. actually like a weird TikTok trend going on right now where there's so the idea is, is that someone will run up to someone and like say, play, hit them and like tag, you're it, and then run away. And then as soon as they start chasing him, they're like, hey, stop. I don't want to play this game. Ah, why are you attacking me? It's like, they, they throw shade at us, and then as soon as we start sh- throwing shade or data against them, back at them, they're like, oh, I don't want to play this game. You're just mainstream archaeologists. You're just trying to hide from me and be attacking me, etc. So we engage in this dialogue, but they don't want to play. Well, it really yeah. seems like he wrote his first book. Archaeologists didn't take it so well, and he spent like the last three decades in a fucking tantrum. Uh-huh. And like using it as justification, like because he didn't do the proper scholastic research the first time around. He's like clearly had an interest in this and wanted to dip his toes in. He had some crazy theories and the archaeological community was like, no, you know, you didn't go through peer review. Here's the list of reason list of reasons why you're wrong. And he's made like 12 books since then decrying archaeologists for being narrow headed and narrow minded. And it's like you're not. Like the game sucks, but like there's rules for why we have peer reviewed because you need experts to review and make sure you did things right. There are pros to cons to that, but like the biggest pro and what outweighs all of the, you know, revere to shitty comments. Like I see you built a car. Have you thought about using a horse type of shit? (laughs) Is the fact that (laughs) I'm glad I got someone to giggle. Uh, you know, it's like it builds science. Like you have to make sure your ducks are in a row to 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 put this kind of data to make it available. And, and part of what we're seeing, I think, as to as to Jesse's comment, is the lack of science communication that's occurred in archaeology for the past, mostly since it's the inception of its field. The paywalls that a lot of our scholastic research is behind, and the academic language that is just not nearly accessible to people outside of the discipline. And here's a guy who is a trained journalist who knows how to write to people, how to spin a compelling argument that's easily digestible because our method of um, hypothesis testing and building arguments is different than how we've talked about before, how a lawyer builds their argument or how other people Mm -hmm. process of critical thinking plays. So it's like we're kind of he's knows how to play the field and we're in a different game that is kind of like more exclusive. And we're seeing, you know, he's able to however the hell his son became a Netflix producer. And I imagine that's how he got a Netflix show out of this. We're kind of seeing, you know, really we're, we're reaping the, what archeologists have, unfortunately, the, the bad crops of not being good uh, science communicators. But that kind of leads to this other thing that, that Jesse has mentioned. It's like, you know, what, what does this say to a nation that digests what Netflix is pitching, where there is this entertainment rather than mm-hmm. science that a lot of people are, are watching because this this show has been rated recently it's been out for like almost a month and it's been in the top 10 i think right now it sits both in the u.s and uk as the number two show right now that's being watched by people like it's and like i've had and i'm sure you guys have too like i've had numerous people who i haven't talked to in years have reached out to me asking like what are your thoughts on graham hancock so carlton that makes me think of of a couple of things and I don't want to talk to you four right now. I want to talk to everyone else that's listening specifically to, well, to a couple of groups, right? To fellow professional archaeologists and to specifically non-archaeologists, right? Anyone that's listening. If you want to talk to an archaeologist, we want to talk to you. Call us. Shoot us an email. Carlton mentioned paywalls. And I could rant for a long time about science of any field being hidden behind paywalls. If you want to read something that a professional archaeologist wrote in a journal, just look at their name and Google us. We're not hard to find. Google us and shoot us an email and we will more than happily send you the thing you want to read and 10 other things that you didn't even know existed. And we'll tell you about it over the phone or in the email. (laughs) A lot. Right. Please reach out to us. Also, professional archaeologists, I challenge all of us, every time you write something, we write something for an academic audience, whether it is a book, a book chapter, a peer-reviewed 
journal article, write a companion piece that's tailored to a public audience that is less jargony and try to publish that somewhere that reaches an audience that's not professional archaeologists. We need to do a better job of communicating this information, right? Like Carlton said, a lot of this is on us, right? I challenge all of us to do that. Every time we publish something in an academic setting, write a companion piece for a non-academic audience. And let's see what happens. If you can't fit your dissertation topic into a 1,200 character Instagram post, like you shouldn't be writing it. That's what I say to most students. Like, yeah, it needs to be easy to, to digest. Sapiens yeah. blogs are a thousand words, and those are quick and easy. Quick and easy, and yeah. not um, behind a paywall. If you want to contact me and talk to me about archaeology, you can contact Derek Anderson at ETA. That is you. We gotta get him on too. I think all our legal um, counsel, if you have any legal questions, go to Derek Anderson as well. So just yeah, all all, 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 all the communication. Let's go to him. I know we're running low on time, but Jesse brought up a, a good point earlier about Netflix has a habit of pushing entertainment over facts and science. I won't iterate it again, but I, I did film that pilot with that company, and it was just like, okay, like I see what you guys are doing. I didn't like it, and then I watched Dahmer recently. The, the new Dahmer biopic and like it was compelling. I really enjoyed it. Like it was good entertainment, but I looked up, you know, what's true about this, what's not. And apparently they really played up the racism aspect, which was like done up because of the times. A lot of it was faked. A lot of things in there didn't actually happen. And of course they made Dahmer look to be like a tragic hero kind of thing, or like a Tony Soprano, which is obviously problematic. But I looked that up and my cousin was like, why do you ruin these documentaries for yourself? And I was like, because whenever I watch an archaeology documentary, there's always 70% bullshit in it. So like what other documentaries, science-wise or like murder mystery-wise, am I getting fed bullshit or fact? And like, I think it's a great point, Jesse. Like Netflix isn't going to put out good content, unfortunately. <laughs> so it's like, I, I don't well, know they- one show on there that's like great. They are putting out fantastic content. I love Netflix, but not for science. I'm a slut for the crown. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) It must be the fratness of me. Like, I just love the fucking (laughs) royal drama that's in the crowd. I'm like, oh, yes, give it to me. I know this. (laughs) I have no Uh, words. (laughs) vox explained is a great show on netflix really good science really good like political stuff really good other stuff but it's run by a very very like i would say left-leaning news company so you're getting like a kind of bias when you learn what they're doing so it's like how much am i getting spoon-fed things you know and like they're not gonna put too much right-leaning stuff on there i guess but that's for Ben Shapiro's network network. But I wish they'd do a show like the Zach Efron show where he's like running around doing like the alternative, like you know, like the the climate conscious kind of food and environmental stuff that like I wish they'd do something like that for archaeology. We need like a Zach Efron for archaeology, just to like and not like Time Team America. Like I'm talking like just it's like engaging good content that's fun. It's like watching Zach Efron go to a geothermal facility on Iceland and like have people explain how that works. And like and it's aesthetically beautiful and it's entertaining and instead archaeology gets Gramcock. <laughs> y'all, y'all have been Gramcock today. Um, <laughs> we've all been Gramcock. The camera's uh, right there. <laughs> yes. yes and on that note we'll we're going to drum up with a bunch of links and sources we'll put those in the episode description down below as well as um shane and jesse's contact information if you've listened to the show for a while you know these two so we'll have their emails down below and their associated uh social media that they allow to be available to all you goons that ravenously follow us uh caleb welch is already set we know that what, what? Follows, us al- follows us already and i guess uh yeah same old same old stuff if you're following on the uh, listening to us on the all show seed please stop subscribe to our show you've heard me rant about this you need to subscribe to our show for us to get sponsors and advertisers to help grow our brand please remember to rate and review the podcast 
rating really helps. Reviewing the podcast or giving us a review really helps. And I also would like to say, uh, I don't think the four of, or five of us, wait, I can get one, two, three, five of us, um, <laughs> wouldn't shame you for watching this show. Like, go ahead and watch Hancock's show. Like, it's great. Rate and review that show, but also rate and review ours. Like, I just want you to be skeptical when you watch it. And you should yeah. be skeptical when you listen to ours, too, because we have our own opinions. Yeah, go go dislike that show. Yeah, go follow it, watch <laughs> it, dislike it. That's That's been the call to action I've seen online is, like, just dislike the show. Tell Netflix this is not okay. I didn't think about that. Shane and Jesse, we've asked you this question a number of times. Connor, take it away. We're not going to ask you. They, they're, they're ruins, people. We know it. I think we're out. Fair enough. We're out. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. And if you made it to the end of this show, you know, it's our favorite time. We haven't had a Connor joke in several episodes. No, we had uh, the one. No, you did do the one with um, Josh. Josh. That was a that was a good joke. That's a good one. That was a good one. All right. What do you got for us today, Connor? All right. This one's bad. Why don't boxers have sex the night before a fight? Because they don't really like each other. Oh. <laughs> 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 All right. That was good. <laughs> 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 you can see he's avoiding eye contact with all of us right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That was good. Connor. That's I, wasn't, good. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Okay, we're done. (laughs) We're done. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.